Well, fun time is over because five social justice activists armed with advanced degrees took to the digital pages of the popular old science magazine, Scientific American, to argue for why Star Wars and the fictional Jedi Order is inappropriate for any association with social justice causes. If you ever wondered how many PhDs does it take to screw in a light bulb, well now you have an answer. Jedi stands for Justice, Equity, Diversity, and Ex Inclusion. They are a religious what? order of intergalactic police monks prone this to what can't be real. This is a real article? This is a real article from Scientific American. I am praying now for the sweet meteor of death. Welcome to A Conspiracy in the Force, the show where we examine parallel conspiracies in a galaxy far, far away, in a galaxy not so far away. The show is designed as an introduction to modern day conspiracy theories by using Star Wars, one of the most beloved fictional universes, as a point of reference. Let's begin. Hey, Conspiracy Kyle here. If you like this podcast, please rate, subscribe, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. It greatly helps out the show, and it's much appreciated. Also, please follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Conspiracy underscore Kyle, and that's Conspiracy with a K. Also, follow me on YouTube at Conspiracy Kyle, once again, with a K. And also, now you can find me on the Rockfin Network at rockfin.com with new exclusive content. Now on to the show. Here we go. Well, welcome everybody um, to another episode of Conspiracy in the Force. My name is Conspiracy Kyle. And on today's episode, I have a very, very special guest. Um, I've discovered someone else that, you know, loves Star Wars as much as I, I do and is in the, in the kind of media realm and is, is, is also willing to have some difficult in conversations about things that are happening in Star Wars and kind of in our culture nowadays. So I want to say hello to Stephen Kent. Hey, how are you doing this evening? Conspiracy Kyle, very nice to see you. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So for, for those who don't know about, about you or some of the projects and work you're involved in, can you kind of give everybody a little bit of overview about some of the stuff that you're involved with? Oh, gosh. So I guess I am a political commentator. I've been working in uh, op-ed writing and TV news commentary for about four years, give or take. So I am a entertainment contributor to the Washington Examiner. I do occasional pieces for the Federalist and I do TV political news commentary. So appearing on kind of all the, the big, you know, TV news talkers, right? And doing shows and, and talking about the news. Um, I also host a show affiliated with Al Jazeera called Right Now with Stephen Kent. It is Al, Al Jazeera's first attempt to do something right of center. And it's a, a program with a political uh, bent towards like libertarian and conservative thought. And I, I spend every minute of that show basically trying to explain the divides between libertarians and conservatives. And then on the side of all that, I host a Star Wars podcast called Beltway Banthas, and it is a program about the politics of Star Wars. And I ended up turning that into a book, which I have coming out in November, called How the Force Can Fix the World, Lessons on Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit more about this book? Because it sounds really, really fascinating. And, you know, from some of the content I've been watching of yours, you know, one of your overriding concepts is, listen, there's a lot of political divide, obviously, in our world, and it's obviously seeped into entertainment. It's seeped into Star Wars, of, of course, by, by way of Disney. You know, we, we know how that goes. <laughs> um, but, but you said, you know, at, at the core, you know, Star Wars is supposed to be about fun. It's supposed to be about enjoyment. So, so tell me a little bit more about, about the book and kind of what inspired you to, to write that. Absolutely. So the book is about political polarization and looking at the coming apart, not just of America, but I think in many ways, like the Western world and a lot of the things that used to bind us together, whether it be faith, shared religion, community, 
um, you know, a sort of a shared sense of what the political equilibrium was in our country. A lot of those things have gone away. The world has changed a whole lot um, since the onset of the 21st century. And we share less and less as a people today. And, and in the news, you'll constantly hear them harping on. We've never been uh, divided any, any such time, you know, since the Civil War, right? You, you hear a lot of this talk. And so at its core, this book was about how Star Wars and my experience hosting the Beltway Banthas podcast, where I profile people left, right, center, far right, and far left about their love of Star Wars, they all were saying the same things about why they enjoy this story, why it inspires them, why it gives them hope, and why also it helps them understand people who are not like them. And so what I did was I looked at this lack of shared things that we had and basically said, if we were to draw on one thing that we could all share and talk about morality right and wrong with, you could do a lot worse than Star Wars. Um, I sort of do personally bemoan the loss of Judeo-Christian culture in our society here in America. I think it's bad for us. Uh, that we've lost those things, but I don't have a magic wand to sort of bring people back to church. <laughs> that's that's a really big problem, and I, I can only do that in my own household and in my own community. Uh, so what I'm really focused on here is why Star Wars makes us better people and gives us a lot of good things to talk us about. Talk about. Right, and and I'm 100% with you there because there's so many different life lessons that that you learn throughout Star Wars. You know, for me just the story of Luke Skywalker, you know, all the things that he went through, you know, as, as a young adult and becoming a, becoming an adult, um, went through a lot of tragedies, right? Like a lot of us have gone through tragedies or, or, or terrible things in our lives, but it, it, I think it shows us that there is something on the other side, right? It, you don't have to live in a, you know, victim-like mentality. You can turn your life around for the better. And at the same time, by proxy, hopefully you can, you can affect other people's lives as well. And, you know, I think, you know, Star Wars at its core is really about love, right? You know, when you look at that Correct. penultimate scene in yeah. um, Return of the Jedi, th what changed the universe was Luke Skywalker and his love for his father and his father, you know, coming back from this machine-like person. And I, I, I think, and in, in you you had mentioned it on some of your YouTube shows that, you know, that's, that's very core and that's very important that to show that nobody's ever too far gone people can still be redeemed no, no matter yeah. um, what, what they've done. I mean, you can, you can talk about, you know, that in many different directions, but I think that, right. I think that's a great thing to show that there's a lot of redemptive qualities in star Wars. No, absolutely. And, and you're touching on a couple of, of main chapters in the book. So there's a chapter on the importance of empathy. And I, I really couch that entire chapter in how Ray and Kylo Ren relate to each other as sort of being alien to one another in The Force Awakens, right? It's it's the ability to see beyond the mask of your opponent. Luke, of course, does this for his father, Darth Vader, uh, in the original trilogy. But I, I really wanted to kind of focus in, in one area kind of on the sequel trilogy. And I, I looked at sort of how Rey approaches Kylo from the moment that she learns that he's not, in fact, like some sort of robotic, ghoulish automaton beneath the mask, but in fact, a relatively cute young man who she might <laughs> actually relate with in, in many right. ways. Um, and then you, you kind of touched on, you know, the question of hope. And that's, that's one of the main things that ties all of Star Wars together is this, you know, this young man and, and you know, and, and you get this as, as well with Ray, like looking out at the, the twin sons of their planet and just wanting to be somewhere else, believing that there's more to life. And so all of this stuff that you're talking about with love, it's, it's the thing that underpins the entire book. And what we have lost sight of in our own country is an ability to love one another despite certain things that we have always sort of believed that we, because we have shared things in common, that's why we love each other. But I look at our, our culture and see that we basically, now that we have less shared things, we now think that we cannot love each other. But I, I write a little bit in the book about how the most godlike form of love, the most saintly form of love is to love despite um, of those things that might alienate you from another. And we can get into all the specifics, but it's uh, it's the main theme of Star Wars and it matters. Right, right. And and what you touched on a little bit there about, you know, just polarization too, right? Like you see this, you see this in politics, obviously left versus right is always the, 
the big paradigm we talk about, but then also in Star Wars, right? You have the the fans of the original trilogy, you have the fans of the prequel trilogy, you have the fans Ooh, of the sequel trilogy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and just like in politics, people think if you have a criticism about the sequel trilogy, that means you hate it and despise it. Or if you have a good thing to say about the prequel trilogy, that you you love it and it's your most favorite thing. But but we're we're <laughs> complex humans, you know, we're not we shouldn't be put in these binary zero or Kyle, one kind of don't equation. Uh, don't even get me started on the accusations that whatever your opinion is on the last Jedi, you're a Russian troll. Uh, you know, it's it's exasperating, and this is this is why. And you mentioned kind of like the Disney era of Star Wars, and you know, I, I kind of have a little bit of a flippant attitude about it because it's not my favorite trilogy. It's in fact, it's my least favorite of the three trilogies. But I was a kid when the prequels came out. Yeah, same I was, here. I was a kid when the prequels came out. Episode one was the first movie that I ever saw in theaters for Star Wars. And episode three was the most the most picturesque and important memory that I have as a Star Wars fan. And do you think that when I went to the comic book shops and talked to the 20 and 30 year old fans when I was a teenager about how much I love episode three, I was treated with kindness? Like, no, I wasn't. It was an awful time to be a young Star Wars fan because there was so much just anger and gatekeeping and all this garbage going on. And, you know, even though I don't I don't love the new trilogy, I always remember that and I will never forget it. And my daughter, as she's watching these new Star Wars films, and she's kind of forming her own opinions. I just kind of refuse to participate in that dynamic that I found to be so aggravating and upsetting when I was a young fan. Right, because yeah, you know, like newer fans coming in, the, the new sequel trilogy, this is their trilogy, right? Like in like in the, in the mid 2000s, yeah. a lot of kids grew up, you know, not even on the movies themselves, but like the Clone Wars animated series, you know, that was their Star Wars. So it's like, you, and I, and I talk about this with my friends and stuff all the time. It's like, you know, you can't, you can't just superimpose your thoughts onto somebody else. You have to kind of get into their mindset. How, how are they, how have they grown up? How have they developed yeah. as a person? Like what's their mindset? Because we, we all, like you said, we all have our, our favorites and things like that, but just because it's my favorite doesn't mean it's the best. Oh, totally. It, and it doesn't mean it invalidates like another person's thing. You know, my, yeah, my like, daughter like the, loved the prequel episode two, right? That was her favorite. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and now, now Star Wars Rebels is her favorite, the animated series. Yeah. 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 And it's and it's like, you know, in that formative period, you know, like when you're, uh, a, you know, early teens to preteens, it's like those are the things that you remember in, in your mind forever. Like those are the things that are going to that are going to stick. And there's really no way around that. So it's just, you know, like you said, it's 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 a it's a preference. And I think we can all appreciate them for, for different aspects. And I, and I do appreciate that in your book. You are putting some of that good stuff from the sequel trilogy in there because I think it is in there. But of course, it gets it gets buried with all of the other right. talking and, points. Yeah, and I, I think one of the things that I, I will always criticize the, the sequel trilogy for is that despite people have like a strong opinions about the political agenda behind the movies and so, some of what was done with the characters, but one of the things that's really hard about the, the sequel trilogy and kind of incorporating it into my book was that George Lucas, he had such a vision with his two trilogies that he did for Star Wars, he had a through line and a point that he was trying to make with those films uh, from episode one to episode three, and then episode four to episode six, he had an idea. And the hard thing about writing critically and, and analytically about the sequel trilogy is it's just kind of transparent how much of it was like, make it up as you go along. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I, I had a friend like, you know, kind of going back and forth with me on Twitter the other day about my analysis of how Ray and Kylo end up balancing the force. And I, I believe it to be the case that they do, in fact, restore equilibrium and balance to the force in a way that Anakin never really appropriately did. And it's reading into, you know, the movie as deep as you can, trying to take every possible detail, putting aside your opinions of the films and just analyzing and I really hold those opinions strongly, but at the same time, it's also clear that Disney had no idea what they were doing movie yeah. to movie. So it's one of those things that can make an analysis really hard when you're trying to pull, what is the meaning of these movies when the makers are clearly not sure of what their meaning was either. Yeah, and, and you know, it, it, it's hard, especially when you don't see a lot of stuff specifically in the, in the movies, right? Like, I think there was a specific intent uh, specifically in the force awakens to shy away from anything at all political 
So you, you don't see anything about, you know, the, the new capital city yep. of the galaxy yep. until, until mm -hmm. it's destroyed. So, you know, for, you know, like, so go back to episode four, you had an emotional response when you saw Alderaan being destroyed because Princess Leia had a connection to it. Her family was there. Everybody she knew was there. When this other new Republic uh, capital was blown up, you really don't have that emotional resonance because you don't know anything about it. The only way to know anything about it is to go into all these supplemental materials like the comics and the books yeah, and stuff, which, that's no which I, I, there's there's too many of them. Like uh, all the yeah. books I have back here are from like 1995 and I haven't even read all those. You know? <laughs> You're so, so old school, Kyle. <laughs> yeah. So like, um, I think that's the hardest part. And I think there's new books coming out still trying to understand and explain the the whole Palpatine thing, how he came back, and this and that, and like you said, somehow, they, Palpatine they, has returned. <laughs> somehow, that, that's that's literally my favorite line. <laughs> I I tell that to people. I'm like, listen, this is a line from the movie. I'm not making this up. I'm not paraphrasing. This is an actual line. So it, it, is. it, it is. It was definitely a fly by the seat of their pants kind of kind of thing. So I'm with you there about the about the analysis of it. No, so I, go ahead. Oh, go yeah. ahead. <laughs> um, so yeah. So th the reason I wanted to have you on is. Um, there's a very interesting article that came out, you know, several weeks ago um, about the term Jedi that you had um, made some some video responses to and some, you know, articles written about. So if you could, for those uh, listening and watching that weren't familiar with this article, can you give us a little bit of insight about this article talking about the Jedi from the Scientific American uh, newspaper, I guess? Yeah, so a couple of uh, geniuses with master's degrees and two PhDs. Uh, it took five uh, academics to put this article together. <laughs> it's in the Scientific American, all right? This is a, a scientific journal that dates back to the late 1800s. It, it's got 100 plus years of history and a really, really strong reputation, particularly in the, sci the secular scientific community. And so the Scientific American runs this article titled, Why the Term Jedi is Problematic for Describing Programs that Promote Justice, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. And then the subtitle is, of course, they're meant to be heroes within the Star Wars universe, but the Jedi are inappropriate symbols for justice work. Leaving you just to wonder, like, was it a slow news day in the world of secular science over the Scientific <laughs> American for them to write this article? But if you really kind of understand kind of how uh, wokeness and kind of critical race theory type thinking has permeated every higher, you know, higher type of institution, like the, the, the sort of most elite publications, journals, and also universities in the country, this is not at all surprising. So the backstory is basically this. There is an acronym, JEDI, G or J-E-D-I which has been used throughout the social justice community to brand diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. If you work in an office or you have kids going to a public school, you might've seen your public school district talk about having a diversity, equity, and inclusion policy, a DEI policy. This is Basically, they say it's just kind of like a nice, a nice thing meant to, to make people feel more included, but it's, it's really sort of steeped in, in critical race theory and, and sort of victimhood classes and trying to elevate certain voices while suppressing others uh, in the name of social justice. And I think a lot of far left activists thought it would be really fun if they added J into there because you could rescramble the word to be Jedi. And they did this. So J for justice. So justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. And this ends up spelling Jedi. And I, in my own community, I have a Jedi program that goes on at the local school district. My city council has a Jedi council where they talk about all the, the diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives that they're going to do, but they kind of like do it in a Star Wars-y way. I'm part of a Star Wars club on Clubhouse, and one of the guys who co-hosts my club is a teacher up in Brooklyn, and he is the <laughs> one of the masters on the Jedi council for his school district. <laughs> and no, I, I like I kid you not, and, and they basically they they talk about doing social justice work in these things and they, they kind of all make it Star Warsy. But according to the Scientific American and these scholars, there is problematic history behind the Jedi and therefore they should not be associated. We can get into a little bit of the details of why they think that. Yeah, and it's, it's one of those things, you know, let me ask you this before we get into some of the details of it. 
Do you think that the P these wonderful PhD, super, super smart people believe all the words that they're writing here? Or do you think it's more of a kind of a clickbait type 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 thing that you would see on like, you know, like Buzz, right, BuzzFeed or something like that? Do you, do you think they really believe all this stuff? Or, or do you think it was just to kind of get clicks and to get um, mentions and, and attention? Because, you know, yeah, like, like, they say, like they say, no, no, um, no response to this kind of stuff is bad. You know, they're still getting the click on the article. So what's yeah. your kind of thought about that? Well, I, I think it's important to note that none of these PhDs and masters, you know, writers who are, who are contributing this article to the Scientific American work at the Scientific American. They, they wrote an op-ed together from a scholarly point of view and then they shopped it around and the Scientific American said yes. Um, so it's not their concern if they're getting traffic for the piece. It's not meant to be clickbait as far as the writers are concerned. Maybe the Scientific American said yes, because they knew it would generate a lot of traffic for them. But for the writers who did this, I think there's no reason to assume that this was not done completely in earnest. And they've defended themselves uh, quite vivaciously on Twitter against all the criticism. Uh, people who I think subscribe to this diversity, equity, and inclusion initiative kind of mindset, they're very serious and they believe what they are talking about. Um, now, there are a couple different planks of the argument that these writers come together. Uh, how many masters does it take to screw them in a light bulb or write an op-ed kind of thing? You know, they make a couple different arguments against why JEDI is not appropriate uh, for an acronym to be doing social justice work. Let's kind of break it into to two things. One, they make the argument that Star Wars is problematic. And they kind of go through a laundry list of different offenses that the Jedi commit in the actual Star Wars universe as being bad arbiters of politics and also justice. And then they also go after Star Wars for all of the ways in which it's sexist, racist, all, you know, name, name all of the ist and isms boxes that are going to be checked. And then they also make, I think, a compelling argument that social justice activists should not be associating a corporatized brand like Star Wars with the work that they're doing. And I'm actually of the belief that the second half of the article, there's some merit to what they're saying, which is like, if we're serious about diversity, equity, inclusion, and social justice, we shouldn't be playing games with acronyms, right? And making this sound like it's adventure time. It's not, this is serious. I don't agree with anything that they do, but I actually think that if you take yourself seriously, that's a very good point. Um, right. But you now, know, let me say this um, before we get into some of those elements. You know, the, the concept itself of you know diversity, equity, inclusion. These words on their own in a vacuum, good things, right? You know, there, there should be diversity. There should be equity amongst people. There should be inclusion of all kinds of people. But I think the problem is when when it's the woke side that is using these. It's, it's anything but those. It's diversity, equity, inclusion for their side only, right? Mm -hmm. They would not provide the same type of inclusion to, like you mentioned before, somebody with Christian values or that maybe that has beliefs about, let's say, abortion or some other polarized topic. They would not afford the same kind of inclu inclusivity to people that have those beliefs. So the, the, whole, the whole purpose, I would say, behind it is, is invalid because it's not true diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? Do you agree? No, it, no I, I absolutely agree. I, I ended up in a meeting with the superintendent for my public school district because I testified or you know, you know, went up to the podium and spoke at one of my uh, school board meetings and pretty much gave a, a 60 second takedown of the motives behind their, their DEI initiative, which they were going to pass. And the superintendent called me into a one-on-one -on -one meeting, basically just to like lecture, lecture me after the fact. And you know, their their viewpoint is that this is about bringing more voices to the table, making sure that everybody can participate and be included. And my response to that is, of course, were people not included? You you know, are you excluding people from being able to to be part uh, of the way that the schools run? Are you stopping people from being able to succeed in school? And they go, no, 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 no. Of course not. We're not. We're not discriminating against anybody. Then I go, well, then why is there a problem to fix? You yourself just said that there's a problem within the school district of exclusion and 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 um, discrimination, but they don't take responsibility for that. What they want is to change the way that schools are run, what is being taught, and sort of micromanage the message of every single classroom, even all the way down to math 
and whether or not you are supposed to answer problems correctly. There is a, a very strong strand of belief and it's working its way through California school systems right now that math is subjective and that it is rooted right. in white supremacy and that you don't have to have correct answers. Uh, and then that is sort of a colonialist attitude. Um, this is this is real stuff. And I it's one of those things where like, it's not Fox News fodder in the morning, like go to your school board meeting. They're serious about this stuff. Um, so no, it, it is not about bringing more people to the table. It is about changing the, the scope of what is true and false in, in the school system. Right. And, and, you know, when you take diversity and the, you know, one of the best examples I've heard is, you know, think about like a band, right? You can have a band that has five white people. You can have a band that has five black people. You can have a band that has five people of different cultures, backgrounds, just because of the inclusion or non-inclusion of different people, or it doesn't make the music that they're doing any better or worse. It, it's when you talk about diversity in like a, um, a check the box type thing, right? Where they're starting to say like, well, we need to have, we need to have this, this, this. And they're really just doing it as, um, as a virtue, as a no. virtue and, signal, and right? And you have to block people out of that process. I mean, if you, if you Google, Google Fairfax County, Thomas Jefferson High School, Thomas Jefferson High School in Fairfax County, uh, in the name of diversity, equity, and inclusion has been removing opportunities for their Asian American students to participate in certain programs in the school to make room for other people who are not actually interested in being part of those programs. Uh, it's a majority Asian school, and they're basically doing everything that they can to make sure that Asian Americans are not thriving and getting into the best classes in the name of, of equity, right? Like making sure that the same amount of every type of person is in every class. Uh, which is, of course, not opportunity. That's not equality. That's just this new sort of dogmatic idea of, of equity. And it's uh, entirely different from equal opportunity. Right. And, and you definitely see that in, in the NFL, right? They have this Bruni rule, which says that for every coaching position, you know, you have to have one minority candidate, right? So what they do is they, they bring in that candidate with no intention of them even being part of the the, the, you know, the final pool, right? But they have, they have to do that. So it, it's almost a slap in the face to those people that are being brought into interview because they, some of them probably know to a certain extent, I'm not even really being truly considered for this, but because they have to adhere to this check the box diversity, I got to be dragged through this process. And it's, it's, it's insulting to that person. Yeah, it is. I was, I was just watching Mad Men the other day and uh, there's a there's an episode in season five, right in the beginning, one of the other PR firms in town on on Madison Avenue gets into trouble for basically dropping bags of water on black civil rights activists, and it generates really bad press for their firm. And so the Mad Men crew, Donald Draper and the likes, they run an ad in a major newspaper saying that uh, we're an equal opportunity employer. And so then they get a bunch of black applicants in their firm the next day. And then they actually look at each other and they're like, oh, we have to interview people. And it was humiliating for all of the people involved because they knew as soon as the people who put that ad about equal opportunity employment there, that they were interviewing them to make sure that they didn't get bad press, to make sure that they weren't going to be in trouble when in the culture war at the time. Um, but none of them actually had a decent and fair shot at getting the job. And it was humiliating for everyone involved. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a crazy, it's a crazy, crazy concept. So yeah, it, let's, let's start going through some of those um, different, different tenets of, of the article there. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> this, this is where the fun begins, right? <laughs> yeah. The Jedi, the Jedi are inappropriate mascots for social justice. They write, they're ostensibly heroes within the star Wars universe, but they are a religious order of intergalactic police monks, which, you know, is, is true, uh, mm -hmm. prone to white saviorism and, oh to and toxically masculine approaches to conflict resolution in, quote, violent duels with phallic lightsabers and gaslighting others by means of Jedi mind tricks. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that when you've had a couple of drinks at a party, you know, and like, right, like we, we all like Star Wars fans, we, we, ha we get a little, we get a little tipsy and we, we talk to our friend like, uh, you know, like it might actually been the Jedi were the bad guys the whole time. Oh, Jar Jar Binks might've been a Sith Lord. And we're, 
we're just like having fun, right? It's just like tongue in cheek kind of arguments that you might make about who's right, who's wrong. Like it's the whole empire. Maybe the empire were the good guys thing. The rebels were terrorists. People make these arguments all the time in Star Wars fandom, but there's a whimsical nature to it. You kind of know most people are doing right. an academic exercise. Um, yeah. but, it, but in this case, you know, they're true. Like they, they make this argument in a sincere way to basically say that the Jedi are not heroes, which of course is not true. Right. Yeah. And, and the whole white saviorism piece is just a, is, is such a joke because you look at the Jedi council, it has all different races, all different colors. Okay. Look I'm at the, the, the Sith is the complete opposite. The Sith, you know, if, if you, if anybody listening has like read through some of the, the novels, read through like the Revenge of the Sith novel talking about Count Dooku. He was like the most aristocratic um, eugenicist type person, noble bloodline. He was using all these aliens as pawns in this war, but hopefully he was going to kill him off in the end. Yeah. So, I mean, it, I think if you want to talk about white saviorism, I think you need to talk about the Sith I'm, and not the Jedi. I'm, I'm looking at, I'm looking at uh, the Jedi Council at the time of the Phantom Menace. There is eight people on the council there are eight people on the council you know how many of them are actually like a white person i guess <laughs> two of them and and both of them are aliens and don't even look human but they have fail they have failed skin i think obi-wan kenobi in, in episode three might have been like the first like cis, cis white male addition to the jedi council in uh, ages. not that so I, I care I, I, I don't care about these things obviously but it's it's just a ridiculous claim that that these people kind of put forward tying together their gripes about their whatever they think colonialism is to the patriarchy which the jedi are sort of the the vanguards of society and civilization in star wars and so they just sort of connect these two dots right if, right. if the people who we hate christopher columbus is white savior of civilization right then obviously the jedi are too um they connect these dots and they they don't do it humorously yeah, and, and you mentioned in one of your videos that you put out, you said, you know, th th this article is really the attack on the Jedi, like as an establishment, right, as an institution. But if but you need to look at the character motivations within there, you know, look at somebody like, like Qui-Gon Jinn, who was was not on the Jedi Council, who I would argue was probably the most noble Jedi out of all of them, because he was willing to take chances on people and aliens and creatures that nobody else would. You know, Jar Jar Binks, obviously, for one, and, and in the Phantom Menace novel, Obi-Wan was griping about how they would go on these missions, you know, him and his master Qui-Gon, and Qui-Gon would always be trying to help or, you know, assist, you know, crazy little creatures or, or something. So, yeah. so the whole, the whole premise of that white white saviorism is, is absurd yeah, and and you know it's there's a, there's an element of the the jedi's moral sins that I, I think are important and fair to discuss and and it's one of the things that led anakin skywalker and count dooku to the dark side in the first place and and kai not kylo uh, qui-gon is a pretty good example of even though i think he understood the moral corruption of the jedi council how it was sort of in bed with the republic politically and not invested in justice and peace in any real sense this is what drove dooku to to work with the separatist movement and the sith in the end and qui-gon was his student so you have to imagine he got some of this as well but when they arrive on tatooine and they come across anakin skywalker and he's having this conversation at their dinner table and he says we didn't come here to free slaves you know there's an aloofness to the Jedi that is wrong. It's, it's revealing to Anakin at a very early age that they are not dedicated to justice. They're dedicated to the political status quo and running errands for the Republic. And this is absolutely true. And it's why the Jedi were wiped out. So there's this kind of claim basically made in this article here that the Jedi were, were failed heroes. And we know that. That's the whole point of the prequel trilogy. Like right. that's that's the idea. There's no one's hiding the ball that the Jedi basically eventually gave into sort of moral bankruptcy. But they've also been around for eight thousand years, and they were uh, champions of the light and justice 
and peace and what was right. But in that final 100 years from the high Republic to the beginning of the empire, they became something that they were not and they became uh, morally baseless. And so it's, it's true to say that, but it's, it's sort of wrong and disingenuous to say that the Jedi as an institution were not heroic. All we did was see them in their decline. Right, right. Yeah, just because they lost doesn't mean that they, I mean, there's a lot of, it's a, it's a cautionary tale, in my opinion, right? And it's the same reason why, you know, we shouldn't be going around the country tearing down statues of, of people who did horrible things in the past. We need to remember history and we need to learn from it. Otherwise, you know, like right. the quote goes, you're, 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 it's going to be, it's going to repeat or it's going to, you know, I, I prefer to say history rhymes. Right. So and Kyle, have you been watching Star Wars Visions on Disney Plus? <laughs> I did. Yes. Uh-huh. You know, it's, it's just absurd. And it's like the white saviorism thing too. And just saying that they're not heroes to look at Japanese culture and all these amazing Japanese studios, taking the Jedi lore and spinning them into these amazing and beautiful original stories of young children and a rabbit child, apparently <laughs> um, dreaming of this, this hero, this icon, this idea of who the Jedi are and picking up that sword, turning it on and saying, this is the weapon of a Jedi Knight. And they're not concerned with politics. They're concerned with who is it that goes out and slays dragons? When raiders and marauders come to my town, who's going to save me? We tell stories of the Jedi. The Jedi were once the people who did this. And they were in 8,000 years of galactic history. It's only in that final run where we see that they're errand boys for the Supreme Chancellor and whoever's in power. And it's it's a tragedy, but it completely obscures the point. And, and for me, who, who criticizes the progressive movement every day, it's basically their inability to grapple with the sins of people who come before them. They're utopians. They believe that everyone must be perfect for you to look at their ideas as worth preserving. The Jedi's ideas are on their own, beautiful and inspiring, but the Jedi order, the institution, rotten to the core. That's not a right. secret. <laughs> right. No different than, you know, one, one analogy I like to use is like, think about like the Catholic church, right? You know, the Catholic belief systems and things on their own are, are really, really good, you know, and, and rooted in scripture and this and that. But the institution themselves, we don't, we don't have to get into it, but I think we all, we all know some of, some of how that, is, that has fallen um, over the last, you know, I don't know, whatever, 100 years or, or something to, to that effect. You could even say a few hundred years, but, but, the, the, but that doesn't take away from the, the concept behind it. Just because people have hijacked it or propagated it for their own uses doesn't mean that that underlying um, purpose is, no, and, is invalid. And it's it's all done for a reason. I mean, the, the tearing down of heroes and the gross over-moralization that the kind of writers that, that wrote this thing in the Scientific American that they're doing it, they're doing it for a sinister reason. And it's to have a world where we have no heroes, where everybody is flawed, everybody is sinned. Uh, and because they are sinned, their statues cannot be up. You cannot aspire to high ideals because, well, that person, uh, you know, chopped down a cherry tree when they were a kid, or that person owned slaves in a time where it was completely socially acceptable to own slaves. We all know that people who do things wrong in the past uh, are, are imperfect, but we look to their ideas, to their writings, what they said versus what they did sometimes and try to make sense of what the truth is. And this little like petty attack by academics on the Jedi, it's all part of the same thing, which is that at the end of the day, these far left progressives want to be the heroes. They want to be the people who with their credentials, their degrees and their expertise they are the only people left for us to look up to and bow down to and follow. But as long as you have the idea of the Jedi Knight, right, of the hero who takes the sword up to go fight crate dragons, they're never going to be as powerful because we have other things to aspire to. So it's, it's just all part of a methodical way of stripping down everything that has value in our lives from faith, family to myth, uh, so that they are all, the only thing left standing in the end. Right. Yeah. It, it's like you think about in, um, you know, communist regimes and things across the country, you know, they want to take out the arts, they want to take out music, they want to take out that right. um, criti critical thinking type stuff. So you can definitely kind of see some of that seeping in here. So, so what's the, what's the next, um, what's the next piece of the, uh, 
their their wonderful well, equation here. So so the next the next piece of their their argument going beyond the Jedi is to basically go after Star Wars itself, right? So they basically go on to talk one about the gatekeeping of the community that it has sort of a sexist reputation, uh, which you know may or may not have been true. I think it, it might have been particularly in the '90s and early 2000s when we were younger, but we just don't live in that world anymore. And that's also not a reason for people to not have Jedi councils in their community to do justice work. That's just very silly. Um, but the the argument that they basically make is that Star Wars is problematic, that it has per- perpetuated ableism uh, through through the, the the lens of Darth Vader, that Darth Vader is an icon for why disability makes you inhuman, for why having mechanical limbs makes you less of a good person, and that there is an orient, orientalist subplot to Leia being taken by Jabba the Hutt and kept as a slave in his palace, that this is some sort of like white supremacist idea about foreigners who take the white woman and then put her into slavery. I mean, it's just... <laughs> It's just so contrived, and I, I kind of feel like it's not even worth dignifying with a response, uh, because right. everybody, everybody who, who thinks seriously about these things and recognizes <laughs> that this is a space opera um, are not going to go down that road. And the thing about the, the, the Slave Leia thing, too, is that's also another very important tale to tell, because the, the, the symbolism of her choking Jabba to death with her chains, I mean, I think that's that visually... I think tells you a lot about breaking the chains of slavery. So the fact that she was in it, it I, I think, I think what, what's more important is that she, she broke out of that, right? Like just what we're talking about, you know, having heroes and, and having heroes do heroic things. She did a heroic thing. She got her, she physically got herself out of slavery on, on she's her the own. Hut, she's the hut slayer, you know? Right. And, and this is something that like feminists have done in the star Wars fandom, which I, I think is like fine, honestly, you know, like ever since we were, we were kids and we would get all the toys, right. There was slave Leia. Like it's like capitalized, like slave Leia, like that's a thing, right. On the toy box. That's what it would say. And I, I get why that's a little bit demeaning, right? Like that's not who Leia is. And then in one of the more recent Star Wars books, uh, the Disney Star Wars books, one of the characters refers to Leia as Hut Slayer uh, because of like the legend around her name. And so a lot of women in Star Wars fandom have sort of taken to saying, we don't talk about Slave Leia, we talk about Hut Slayer Leia. And you know what? Cool. I'm down, that's, I'm down with that's, that, yeah. That's, that's fine. I like, that's totally cool. Um, and it's just kind of ridiculous to say that because there are these like complicated things in Star Wars that it's not a heroic or interesting tale. Um, and I think that kind of takes us to the third plank of their argument, which is that Star Wars and, and the Jedi are corporate entities in and of themselves, right? That Star Wars is a corporate property, that the Jedi by extension are Disney IP at this point, which I suppose is true. And if social justice activists who are distrustful of corporations, distrustful of of organizations like Disney want to be taken seriously, they shouldn't be commodifying their commodities at Disney as part of what they're doing. And, And I think there's some merit to that argument. Yeah, I, I would agree. And you even saw that in you know, the prequel trilogy as well. You saw that the, the corporatism on the you know, Trade Federation side and Lucas definitely had a huge, huge issue with that combination of, you know, from, well, from that perspective, from, from government joining with, with, with the corporations to accomplish these, these goals and objectives. So I definitely, I definitely appreciate it from, from that perspective. I, I'm, I'm, with you on, I'm with you on that. No, I think it's, I, just, I think it's something to like, Put yourself in the shoes of a, of a left activist. My brother's a left activist and I, I love him dearly and I, I respect his viewpoints. And, you know, I, I talked to him because he's kind of like a Bernie Sanders guy. And, and I was running this by him. And that was kind of the area in which he was like, yeah, you know, that's that's the art part of the argument that does make a lot of sense is, you know, every every Jedi Council meeting that you have for diversity, equity, inclusion at your school is basically building up the brand of Disney and basically driving people over time to go buy lightsabers and go to Disney World. And if you're a serious left activist, you should kind of be a little bit reluctant to blend those two things together. Doesn't mean you can't love Star Wars, but it just kind of means you don't cross the streams, right? And I think that that has a lot of merit to it. And I just kind of wish that this article, which I think thrives on sensationalism and trying to stir the pot of Star Wars fandom, 
just kind of made a more principled argument about keeping social justice and corporatism separate because that seems completely credible to do. Right. Yeah. You don't really need a, a, a you know, a popular kind of spin on it. If you're doing, if you're doing good work and it's, it's got an acronym, you know, whatever, continue to continue to go along with that. So yeah. yeah I, do your I, thing. I, <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so in the end, I'm, I'm with you there. I mean, maybe they're, they're, they're right. I think their conclusion is that it shouldn't be used. Yeah. I, I agree with that conclusion, but you know, the, uh, <laughs> all, all their, their points along the way to get there, a little rock, a little bit of a rocky road. Yeah, you know, they, their conclusion is basically to tie all these different pieces of, of, of evidence, right, together about why it's bad for Jedi uh, to be used as an acronym for diversity, equity, inclusion, plus justice. And they say, put simply, quote, the baggage of Jedi and Star Wars is too heavy to burden our just and justice-oriented initiatives, and, and it may actually undermine our efforts. If we feel that we need to have an abbreviation for labeling our commitments to diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice, there are alternatives available to us that don't involve fighting over whether or not the Jedi were heroes. And that's a, a wonderful point to make. And it's, it's not something I'm just saying because I am pretty libertarian and I don't want to see Jedi dragged around the mud of these diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. Uh, you know, if they want to do that, fine, but it's it's a it's a sort of contortion of a what is a serious idea into something that they're trying to make kiddish, and I don't think it's appropriate. Yeah, uh, I'm with you there. So, as far as kind of Star Wars goes, you know, in the uh, mythology itself, um, what do you think kind of about the future of Star Wars from here? You know, I think you know the sequel trilogy's ended. I think they're going to try to somewhat distance themselves from from that for a little while just like you kind of saw that with the prequel trilogy they tried to distance themselves from that for, for a little bit just because of back you know immediate backlash maybe maybe 10 20 years we'll think about it differently but yeah what, what do you where do you think kind of star wars is going from here i mean my god there's what 35 different new shows in production right now or something <laughs> to that effect so so where do you think it's going and what are you most excited about yeah, so I think where it's going is a la carte, right? It's going to be more of a buffet where you can put together the, the sort of Star Wars that you like and just have a really damn good time being a Star Wars fan. There is, and this is part of why I wrote How the Force Can Fix the World, is that as part of having less shared things as a culture, it is really hard today with a story as emotionally charged as Star Wars, with as much nostalgic baggage as, as Star Wars has, 40 years of history, to get everybody, all four generations together in a movie theater, give them the next chapter in the Star Wars Skywalker story and expect everybody to be happy with it. That's, that's really, really hard to do. And I think it was a mistake to start the Disney era in that way. I, I Truly, I reject very strongly the notion that Disney has ruined Star Wars. They just, they, they made a bad trilogy, but like everything around it, I think has been awesome. I've been having yeah. a great time with the standalone movies, Rogue One that fills in the gaps between two movies, Solo, which I thought was going to be awful actually ended up being pretty darn good all around. It was a beautifully made movie and the animated series and the standalone shows, Mandalorian is just like the beginning of, of what I think is gonna be an amazing run of Star Wars. But it's just like in this time where you're trying to make everybody happy with a big trilogy story, I don't think it could be, could be done. I don't think it was possible. You know, and, and people talk about like Luke, right? Like Luke was down and out on the island of Octo. And my view as a, a 31 year old with a 10 year old daughter is that I related to that moment that Luke was in. I felt that. And I was like, you know what? I've been kind of down lately and I kind of feel like I've been on the Island and I'm looking, I'm looking for inspiration to get back out there. And that's a defense that like the pro Disney side will make all the time. They'll say like, this is reality. Sometimes you fall down and you need to get back up again. And then you'll have fans saying I needed a hero. I needed Luke with the green lightsaber because I'm 50 years old. I'm not happy. I needed someone to say, you know what? Go out there and still slay your dragons. And that's why I loved it so much when Luke came out in the Mandalorian with the green yes. lightsaber and eliminated those dark troopers. And I felt strong again. I, I get that. 
And I just think it was a mistake to try to do the trilogy when we all need different things from Star Wars as a, as a fan base. Yeah, and, and I, I I'm a totally in, in agreement with you about a lot of the ancillary non-film, non-Skywalker trilogy pieces have been incredible. And, you know, you mentioned Solo, you know, that's one I've only watched probably two or three times. Like, I need to go back and watch that because I think there's probably a lot more good in there than is that. But I think the problem with, you know, the response when it came out, it was coming around on the heels of The Last Jedi within six months. Yep. So there, there was so much baggage placed on it that had nothing to do with the story or anything else in itself, just because people had such a bad taste in their mouth that they weren't w- willing to accept anything that came out in that time period. So that's when I need to go back and, and, and revisit. And, you know, one thing I, w- I will say too about, you know, the, that Mandalorian pe- that Mandalorian thing you said, yeah, I, I think that they gave us that, they gave us that moment, right? They, they knew that that's what the fans wanted. And I wouldn't call it fan service in, in a corny, cheesy way. It was the right thing for the story at that time. And they were, and they were able to get, to get that to us. And I think it was such an impactful way that they did that. And, and I'm, and I'm so happy that they, um, that they did that. Um, yeah. One thing I, one thing I wanted to go back and talk about from the, the article again, I, I had just thought about, you know, they, they mentioned this concept of the, the Jedi uh, or the Star Wars being ableist, right? Where Darth <laughs> Vader, Darth Vader was bad yeah. beca- because he had all these mechanical attachments and things like that. And I think the mechanical stuff is besides the point to the story of Darth Vader. It's about losing your humanity. It really has nothing to do with the machinery itself. It's, it's just saying he had truly become a different person, mm-hmm. you know, um, and he he basically had to wall himself off in this, you know, steel casket, for lack of a better term, out of his guilt and shame and, and all this stuff. So, so there's more to it than that. And, and then the other side, too, you know, look at somebody like General Grievous. OK, he was uh, same kind of thing like Darth Vader. He had like yeah. he, well, he had like a yeah. human heart, but but he could do everything. He could do everything with all his cybernetic attachments. So you can see that kind of stuff on both sides of the spectrum. Yeah, there's a greater story to be told with that other than saying like, because he was more machine than man, that made him a bad person. No, no, he he was a bad person before that. This is just- That's what Obi-Wan says. Like Obi-Wan says that. And Obi-Wan in many ways was wrong. And that's, that's again like them, they read the text of Star Wars and then they take some of the things completely out of context. When when Obi-Wan is saying he's more machine now than man, it's just as much true as when he said uh, that your father was like a fighter pilot and was killed by Darth Vader. No, Anakin Skywalker is still in there. And Obi-Wan had given up hope that he could be saved and that there was still a person in that armor. Obi-Wan was wrong. And Luke, the hero, is the guy who actually was willing to look at the suit of armor and say, you're my father. You're not this, this hunk of metal and evil. And he was the one who was validated correct in the end. So like this, again, this argument that they waste two paragraphs on about the ableism thing, it's, it just is like they, they didn't watch Star Wars. <laughs> it's just like they read Twitter and then they wrote an article. Oh gosh. Yeah. That, that can get you, that can get you into trouble right there. Um, so, okay. So before we, before we end here, and I want to thank you so much for, for taking the time to come on here and chat with me. This has been, this has been great. Um, what would you say is your favorite um, Star Wars movie, your favorite Star Wars character, and then your favorite quote from the movies. Yeah, so my favorite movie is Return of the Jedi. It is purely for the finale scene between Luke, Vader, and Palpatine when Luke is being tortured by the Emperor and, and Darth Vader is watching. And he you see in that silence as he's just watching that moment of realization. I, I, I live for that moment in Star Wars. It's so beautiful. And that for me, even though like Empire Strikes Back is great, like that just buys it all for me. So Return of the Jedi is, is my favorite movie. It's the most hopeful. Qui-Gon Jinn is my favorite character. He is the Jedi that I, I would want to be. He is like the Jedi master I would also want to have. And I'm also a green lightsaber guy. Uh, whenever, whenever I think about myself in Star Wars, it is, it is wearing dark robes and... Um, and having that awesome green lightsaber. So Qui-Gon is the one for me. Favorite quote. I would like more time to think about it and you tell me yours while I pull one out of the sky. 
Um, so yeah, so let me, let me think here. I, I think it would definitely be that, you know, what, what I call like the dark side spiral, right? You know, fear to, to anger, to hate, to suffering, mm. because you can apply that template to so many things happening in our world. You can apply it to everything that's been going on with COVID. You can apply it to everything that went on last year with riots and things like that. And there's so many other examples of that, especially in Star Wars, right? That fear, Anakin feared losing his mother. He feared losing his wife. And because he had that initial fear and he, and he made decisions based off of fear that led him to a dark place, which got him into that suit, mm-hmm. you know? So, and I think um, a, a lot of people in, in the world need to uh, understand that, you know, f- fear on its own is not a bad thing, but when you start making rash decisions based off of that and don't use critical thinking, you're going to be in a heap of trouble. So, and, you know, from, uh, you know, the quote, it's a quote from Yoda from the Phantom Menace, which people at the time hated, but yep. you go back, you know, and especially like you mentioned about Qui-Gon, so many great quotes from, from Qui-Gon in there, in there too, that you go back and watch like, man, that the was ability really to just speak does not make you intelligent. <laughs> oh man. We don't have enough time to, to, to put that to, uh, people in our world i know yeah i i think for me um i'm not going to say this is my favorite quote because i I feel like like favorite quotes like it's it depends on what you need on any given day last last night i was driving with my daughter home from an event that we were at and we my daughter is very curious about civics and politics and and we were talking about this is how liberty dies with thunderous applause uh Mm -hmm. because we were we were talking about Congress and how they do nothing and how they give away all their power to the president uh, every four years. And so we were talking about that and that has a lot of value. We should always be talking about that line. But today I, I just was, I was spending some time with my kid and I just kept thinking about as I was watching her do some of her work, um, we are who they grow beyond. We are what they grow beyond. It's what Yoda said to Luke in the last Jedi about, about Ray and, and our Padawans and learners and, Boy, is that true. You know, that is, yeah. that is the, the burden of a parent. It's the burden of being a master is that you're not looking for your, your Padawan to like just learn what you have learned. You're looking for them to outgrow you. You're looking for them yes. to have more. It's when your parents say, I want you to have everything that I didn't have when I was a child. And right. that's, that's true. And I think about that a lot. So that's been the one that's on my mind lately. And I think, you know, a good companion line to that is, is what he told you know, Obi-Wan and then the students in um, Attack of the Clones, you know, truly wonderful, the mind of a child, uncluttered, yes. you know, un- un- yes. uncluttered, I think is, you know, it gives me chills just thinking about that because I look at my kids, they're very young, they don't really know a lot of this crazy things that are going on in this world. And I look at them and they're, and they're happy just to play with a toy or to watch Sesame Street or this and that. I'm like, I'm like, man, like they have the best life because they are not burdened by all the things we fight back and forth about, whether our, they're legitimate or not. It, it, it has such a burden on us and it weighs on us. Even if we try to not focus on it, it's still there. So I, I love that about, about, about seeing my kids just playing and having fun and, and not realizing that kind of a lot of some things in the, some things in the world are, are crumbling, you know. Kids are where it's at. I uh, truly wonderful. The mind of a child is, is the, the quote that is underneath episode or chapter one in my book. So chapter one of my book is on humility and it's on, why we have lost humility in our culture and why the story of Padme in episode one and how she led uh, Naboo back to peace from the Trade Federation was a masterclass lesson in humility. And I tie it all back to truly wonderful the mind of a child is in episode two uh, and a lesson from the book of Matthew and the Bible about why Jesus says we need to have the minds of children if we are to be good leaders uh, and followers of Christ. And um, it's just something I think about a lot. So I do hope people will get the book because that will be one of the, uh, the quotes that leads things off. Awesome. Yeah. So, um, I want to give, I want you to give your plugs again, but I will say, you know, Hey, Qui-Gon Jinn, I would say he's probably the most libertarian out of any of the Jedi. He was more in that gray Jedi space. I would say. So I think you picked a pretty good one there. No, absolutely. I think him, Qui-Gon and, and Count Dooku, they are in many ways the libertarians of, of Star Wars. And, and I, you know, people will laugh at me when I say Count Duke is a libertarian of Star Wars because they're not libertarians. And they're like, he's a bad guy. Well, I go, yeah, it doesn't really matter. He saw that the Republic was, was broken. 
Like Mm -hmm. Count Dooku was one of the only people that saw that the Jedi and the Republic were in cahoots against the best interests of the galaxy. And it was a morally bankrupt regime. Um, And so that's one of the areas in which I'm like, yeah, Count Dooku is like one of the libertarians of Star Wars and and Qui-Gon just was not willing to to go by some of the rules and and participate in the corruption as well. I I think it's somewhat true that Qui-Gon said, or that Count Dooku said to Obi-Wan in episode two, I, I wish Qui-Gon was still with us because I think he would have joined the separatist movement. He might have. I don't I don't think he would have joined the dark side, but I, I think he would have left the Jedi Order. Man, we need to get one of those Star Wars what if like they did with the Marvel. That would that would be a really interesting concept to see where where, where that could go. I think there's a lot of good good meat oh, on the that would there. Be, that would be really good. Yeah. So um, so before we sign off here, if you give everybody kind of your links where they can find you on social media and then kind of plug your book and some of your other stuff again yeah so best place to find me is on twitter at steven underscore kent eight nine that's steven with a ph underscore kent eight nine and i would love to talk to you about star wars or politics my youtube show right now with steven kent is on youtube that's youtube.com slash rightly aj that's rightly aj is the handle and uh, it's a weekly political talk show this week our guest is mark pellegrino he's the actor who played lucifer in supernatural and jacob in lost and he also uh, was in dexter and, and quantico big time actor so he's on our show this week if you want to come watch that and my book is called how the force can fix the world and it comes out here on November 9th. And I would love it, love it, love it if you would go ahead and pre-order it before it comes out. It will help us make a big splash on opening day. Awesome. Yeah, everybody go go check that out. I'm going to pre-order that. That's that's going to be awesome. I love I love Star Wars content. I love Star Wars commentary. And you know, I, I love your I love your take on it, willing to talk about some of the some of the wokeness and some of the other stuff, but also just talking about like we started off the show. Star Wars is supposed to be fun. Star Wars is it was originally meant for kids. And we we can get a lot of really good stuff out of it and we can kind of push some other stuff to the side so definitely really looking forward to to that book so uh for Stephen kent this has been conspiracy in the force with conspiracy kyle and may the force be with you and with you